2: This is the Get Booked podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode two hundred and forty-five, and we are recording on August eighteenth. I'm Jen Northington. I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Hello, Amanda. Salutations. <laughs> I don't I like know. that. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, as y'all might know, I was on vacation last week, uh, so I am working with Vacation Brain. But I yeah. think, I, th- I feel like, I don't know, we'll see what happens.
0: Every show is a punchy show, so.
2: You know, that's just true. Like, it doesn't matter <laughs> if one of us has been on vacation or not.
0: Nope, it doesn't. <laughs> Here it's we 2020.
1: Are. it's 2020. It's
2: 2020. It is 2020. All right. Well, let's let's see how this goes. So as we said at the top, this is a reading recommendation show, which means you can send in your reading recommendation requests. It can be for you personally. Maybe there's a book that you love that you're having a hard time finding something comparable to. Maybe you need a pick for your book club or a friend or a relative or for travel or whatever. If you have a request, you can send it in via email, getbooked at bookriot.com, or you can put it in the form that's at the bottom of the show notes on the site for every episode. And if your request is time sensitive, if you're hoping to get a response back by a particular date, please put time sensitive, all caps, either in the subject line of the email or the first line of the form and the date that you're hoping to hear back by. If we're not going to get to it on air, we might shoot you an email. So keep an eye out for those. And yeah, that's our story. Okay, so now we will I will read our first question, then we will take a sponsor break, and then we will get with the recommending. So our first question is from Brooke, who says, I'm in the mood for a steamy pirate romance, but not one that's cheesy or over-the-top ridiculous, which unfortunately is all I've been able to find. My favorite romance authors are Tessa Dare and Sarah McLean, mostly because of the feminist tone and whimsy. Okay, so first let us hear about a sponsor.
1: Today's episode is brought to you by Sourcebooks Landmark. So King Solomon says something very interesting to his son before he dies, and that is, quote, don't let the white man take the house, end quote. These, as I just mentioned, are King Solomon's last words to his son as he dies. Now, all four Solomon siblings must return to North Carolina to save the kingdom, their ancestral home, and 200 acres of land from a development company. Told in Alternating Viewpoints, Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton-Harris is a searing portrait of the power of family and letting go of things that no longer serve you, exploring the burden of familial expectations, the detriment of miscommunication, and the lessons and legacy we pass on to our children it's an explosive and emotional story of four siblings each fighting their own personal battle because who isn't who return home in the wake of their father's death make sure to check out long after we are gone by tara shelton harris and thanks again to sourcebooks landmark for sponsoring this episode today's episode is brought to you by disney books do y'all like caribbean mythology What's more, a thriller inspired by Caribbean mythology? If you do, I got something for you. A must read thriller that draws from the darkest corners of Caribbean mythology from acclaimed author, Sarah Das, who crafts a chilling tale of magic, murder, and how far we'll go to protect what's ours. It's perfect for fans of Angeline Booley and Tiffany D. Jackson. So unlike other people on the small island of St. Virgil, Selena da Silva does not believe in magic. She has a logical mind, she likes botany, she wants to study pharmacology, but then her mother gets sick and she's tethered to the island and she has to make money. So what does she do? She cons a couple gullible tourists with these useless talismans and phony protection rituals but then one of the tourists ends up dead and at the center of a strange string of murders and the truth selena has been denying can no longer be avoided there is evil lurking in the forest that surrounds saint virgil and to find out what that evil is make sure to pick up it waits in the forest by sarah das and thanks again to disney books for sponsoring this episode All right, now let us talk about pirate
2: Mm -hmm. romance. Amanda, you picked a book I almost picked, but then I changed my mind. But I'm
0: glad you picked it. Okay, yay. Well, I'm go Huzzah. (laughs) Same brain. Okay, so I picked The Rogue Pirate's Bride by uh, Shanna Galen. Galen? G-A-L-E-N. So let me, I feel like I need a caveat here. And the caveat is that pirate romance, almost by design, is a little bit over the top. So I don't know that you're going to find one that's not over the top in any way this one's a little bit of that like there's 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 some leather pants and some swashbuckling and all of that but it's just delightful and there's a lot of banter and i think it, it's like it's on brand you know like you're into it uh, it doesn't pull you out of the story so this takes place in france in the early 1800s um and the heroine's name look the heroine's name is raven russell r-a-e-v-e-n <laughs> raven i just can't i just am obsessed with it um and she is the daughter of a British admiral so she spent like much of her days growing up on ships she knows how to work you know a rig like she grew up climbing masts and she knows how to fire a cannon and hold a sword and all of that and one day her fiance is killed and so she decides she's going to go take revenge on captain cutlass is the man who she thinks has killed her fiance his real name is sebastian Hakort. i have a terrible accent um and he's a marquess and has like taken to the seas because of you know his sketchy sketchy past and so she thinks that he is the one who has uh is responsible for the death of her fiance so she like dresses up like a boy and challenges him to a duel in the middle of a bar it does not go well uh and soon he realizes who she is and who she is the daughter of and is like oh this is a great way for me to like get hella hanged so i'm gonna bounce so he leaves and Uh, She pursues him, you know, vengeance uh, ends up on his ship and various and sundry shenanigans ensue because, of course, her father does want to hang this dude because he's like a privateer um, and a pirate and is wanted for many, many a crime. She wants to murder him because of the things that she thinks he's responsible for. And he's just kind of like, I'm here. I was minding my own business. And now (laughs) these people are in my space and I don't know what to do. Except, you know, you add that they have the hots for each other and everything becomes hashtag super complicated. So it is a bit over the top, but I love it. I love a like Regency. I guess this isn't. Is this Regency 1802? No. Yeah. Napoleonic, whatever. Romance with a a heroine who can use a weapon. Like that is very Mm. much a trope I did not know I was into until I realized that I am very much into it. So give me a lady with a sword and I'm like here for it. So that's the Rogue Pirate's Bride by Shanna Galen.
2: Yeah, I loved that book when I read it a while back. It was, like, early on in my romance days, and I was like, Mm. okay, I'm I'm here to stay now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. This is my place.
2: <laughs> yeah, here we go. And it, it does definitely have whimsy and feminism, so I like, highly recommend it. Uh, a little less whimsy but really great is Captured by Beverly Jenkins, which is what I ultimately decided to go with because Beverly Jenkins is the queen of mm. historical romance, and all shall hail her. Uh, <laughs> so Captured is... Oh, it's so good. So it uh, the two characters are Dominic, who is the illegitimate son... Of a French lord and his formerly enslaved wife. And the father dies, and the white wife uh, and his legitimate son claim that Dominic has been left nothing in the will, but that's not true. And also, they claim that they are gonna like own all of the people living on the island of Martinique, even though the Lord freed them like years ago, like years ago. So, This is like everything is terrible, basically. Mm -hmm. And so Dominic is like, nope. And he puts every single person living on that island on a ship, takes them to a hidden island and becomes a pirate who targets slave ships. So like he is the best possible kind of pirate, like social justice pirate, which is amazing. And in the course of him raiding all of these various ships, he comes across one on which Claire, the heroine, is. She is an enslaved woman who is traveling from Britain to America. Um, the woman who has enslaved her is a, like, Savannah debutante who is, you know, predictably horrible. And when they board the ship, they take Claire. But she's just like, oh, hell no. Like, I need to get back to Savannah because I have children there who like, I need to be able to like, see them as much as I am able to, which is not that much, but it's more than nothing. And Dominic is like, let me free you. Like, let's come to my island safe haven. Also, you're hot. Like, let's do things. And she's like, Ugh, this is terrible. Uh, so <laughs> it's really it's a very complicated situation. And it's like very steamy. And you just I mean, it's so you can't help but feel for these two in their quest to deal with like the incredibly complicated and frustrating situations that they find themselves in also like how will they get together it's very satisfying the history is fantastic the characters are amazing like all of the thumbs up for this one so again that's captured by beverly jenkins
0: all right our next question is from jessica who says i am reading where the crawdad's Sing. i'm flying through this book I love that the marsh is a character. Can you recommend a book that has the same feel? I've also read Molokai and loved it. I live in North Carolina, but have spent some time in Hawaii. I would love Southern Beach or Island. I also wouldn't mind something in Europe or Africa, but please no Middle America. I like something I could spend some time with, so please no graphic novels or short stories. Okay, I will keep going. I picked The Land of Love and Drowning by Tiffany Unique, which comes with a trigger warning for Rape of a Child. And this is a, like, multi-generational magical realism book set of, like, family epic saga set in the Virgin Islands. It opens in 1916, and then you follow the family up through, I think, the 70s, if I'm remembering correctly. And it opens on the day that the uh, Virgin Islands transferred from Danish rule to American rule, and also... On that day, there's a big massive shipwreck off the coast of the Virgin Islands that involves the family of the main character. So it's pretty obvious, like, from the jump that you are following this family and their evolution as a metaphor for the transfer of power and, like, quote unquote, ownership of this island nation from one country that's very far away and has nothing really to do with the people who live there to another country that's very far away and has nothing to do with the people who live there. Um, And so most of the story is told through these three kids who are their siblings. Um, some of them are, one of them is a half sibling and they don't really know, they don't all three know about each other. Uh, Iona is uh, one of the sisters. I don't remember the other sister's name. Uh, and then Jacob is, is the half sibling who's a, a brother that the father had by another woman, like a secret family kind of a thing. And they're just like very complicated people. Uh, one of the girls grows up very, she's like the, you know, most beautiful woman on the island, and she knows it. And she spends all of her life like kind of holding that close and protecting her beauty. And she's got a lot of trauma from her from her childhood and her upbringing. Her her sister is kind of the opposite, like lives a very wild and free life. And then the brother ends up joining the army and leaving um, to go to America and experiences all the racism that you would experience being a black man from another country in the US in uh, the 40s. And so it's, uh, you know, you just are, like, here with this family. And the the islands are absolutely a character here. Like, they're, th- there's no, like, you know, choral kind of voice given to the landscape or anything. But every part of the landscape influences the lives and decisions of all of the characters. And so much of their personal journey is about coming and going from different parts of the islands like you know finding yourself by going to your ancestral home on the islands and um if i leave how am i going to change all of that kind of stuff so in the same way that like in where the crawdads sing like the marsh really raises the main character i think the islands here raise these three kids into their adulthood and then they are they like set off to deal with that as they as they will so that's land of love and drowning by tiffany unique
2: I picked All the Birds Singing by Evie Wilde, which comes with a trigger warning for violence against women, including sexual assault and also harm to animals. And yeah, in the same way that like the landscape doesn't actually have a voice, but it's incredibly important and incredibly present in the book. Um, And this book is super interesting, too, because structurally it moves Through time in two different ways. There's the sort of present day storyline, which is unfolding in linear time. And then there's the past timeline, which is unfolding sort of backwards. So you're going from closer to the present to farther back. And it's it's a fascinating read. The main character, Jake, is at the present day living all on her own in a very old farmhouse on this, like, very isolated British island. Oh, yeah. So this is an island, but it's not, like, a beachy, fun island. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is, like, rainy all the time, super windy, isolated, cloudy all the time island. And she and her dog and like her sheep are the only people there, which is how she wants it. Like something, you know, that something very intense has happened in her past that has led her to seek this isolated life. Um, But her sheep are starting to be picked off. And, you know, there's foxes and there's strange people on the island. Um, But she's also sort of trying to deal with her past traumas. And you sort of that's the backwards running storyline. You sort of Get the story of piece by piece how she ended up here until you finally get to like the original incident and it is so well done and it is so powerful and one of the things I remember most about this book which I read you know I don't know probably 2013 I want to say so that was like seven years ago slash a million years ago in current time is the landscape. Like it's so, I have such visuals of these characters moving through different landscapes. And there's a couple of different ones that really inform the characters' choices and their lives and what happens to them next. And I think that it will give you uh, some of the same feels that you're looking for. And it's just like an amazing piece of fiction. So again, that's All the Birds Singing by Evie Wilde. All right. Our next question is from Lee, who says, I'm 47 and went through a divorce two years ago. I'm looking for romance novels that involve women that have been married for many years and are rejoining the dating world and finding love. I've not been brave enough to do so yet and need inspiration. So, Lee, first of all, welcome to the Divorce Club.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's fun. It's fun here.
2: We welcome you. <laughs> Amanda, what did you pick?
0: I picked The Switch by Beth O'Leary, which comes out in the U.S. today and is the most soothing reading experience i have had all year i am obsessed with it so it is about uh, lena lena cotton who is a woman in her either late 20s or early 30s who has just lost her sister and is not dealing well with her grief and has a panic attack in the middle of a really important presentation at work and her work her job puts her on a 2-month sabbatical to like rest and get her health together and then come back when you're ready. And then her grandmother, Eileen, lives in Yorkshire in a tiny tiny little village and is recently divorced. She is 80 years old and her husband has just left her for his ballroom dancing instructor. <laughs> and so I know. <laughs> it's so good. And so she is recently divorced and is like ready to get laid let me tell you what she like wants a new man because her husband was boring and like her marriage was kind of a sham and she wants to find love and so her and of course she just lost her granddaughter uh lena's sister so she's dealing with her own grief and stuff and doesn't really know what to do because she lives in this tiny yorkshire village where there's like three men some of them don't have all their teeth one of them can't drive she like literally makes a list of the pros and cons of the three men that she could possibly date Uh, and one of them is her neighbor who hates her And so Lena and Eileen decide to switch lives for two months. Lena is going to come to Yorkshire, stay in her grandmother's house, join the Neighborhood Watch, like work on all of Eileen's projects for her. And Eileen is going to go to London and live in Lena's apartment with her amazing roommates and get learn how to use Tinder and like date (laughs) in London for real skis. And so Eileen goes to London and has like an amazing casual fling with a elderly man who's an actor in a West End theater. And Lena goes to Yorkshire and like learns to appreciate uh, the slowness of country life and meets a very attractive elementary school teacher with a puppy. So, oh, my God, this is I what more do you want from a book right now in 2020 in August of 2020? It's so soothing. It's so lovely. Eileen. And her dating adventures in London, trying to figure out how to use like internet dating. Oh, it's so great. It's It's comforting and hopeful. And, you know, if Eileen can do it at 80, we can do it. Right. OK, so that's The Switch by Beth O'Leary out today. Go get it. Well, you just blew that out of the water. (laughs) I love it so much. I love it so much. I
2: am like one click borrowing it from my library. Hello, put me on that hold list right now. I need it. I need it immediately. Uh, I'm going to have to wait six months apparently to get it, but whatever. uh, It's fine. Um, I'm sure I'll need it in six months. Okay, so while I just like, now I'm going to play second fiddle here, but that was really good. I should have gone first. Okay, so... (laughs) My pick is a little sideways for you because I forgot in my like brain haze of pre-vacation that you specified that you wanted women that have been married for many years. And I just was looking for divorce uh, romance novels. But I think you might still enjoy the one I found. I really loved it. It's called His Perfect Partner by Priscilla Olivares. It does come with a content warning for a family member with cancer. And it is about uh, an ad executive, Tomas Garcia, who is a single dad. Uh, His wife left when his daughter was very young. She's about five now. And he is like, Mr. Career Man, like his goal in life is to give his daughter just everything. So he works really hard at the agency that he's a part of to try to, like, you know, get ahead, get promoted, get more money. He's just moved them out of Chicago into a suburb um, so that she can have, like, a house and, like, hopefully, like, good schools and whatnot. And he's very fo- hyper focused on that. And his daughter is going to dance classes. You might be able to see where this is going. And she (laughs) loves her dance teacher, Yasmin. And one day Tomas comes to pick up Maria, his daughter, from dance class. And Yasmin, the teacher, gives him the business because he's supposed to be at dance practice with her practicing for this like Christmas recital. And because he's so job focused, he is not showing up. And so she is just like, listen, mister, like, Mm -hmm. your kid can't dance in this recital if you don't start showing up to practice. Like, what are you doing? And so they get off on that foot, which you can imagine is, like, super great for both of them. They're also, of course, instantly attracted to each other because they're both smoking hot. (laughs) And it turns out that Yasmin's story is that she is home uh, in this, like, small town outside of Chicago because... She went to New York. She's an amazing dancer. She was working on Broadway, but she was in a very toxic relationship with another dancer and it ended badly. And her father has also been ill. So she's coming home to help take care of her father. And she basically has lost all of her faith in her abilities. Like she's suffering from some fallout from that relationship and, like, really is reconsidering, like, Why is she pushing so hard to become, like, a Broadway star? Is it for her? Is it for her family? She feels this obligation because her parents had promising artistic careers that they then put on hold to raise their family when she was born. Um, And she has two other sisters. And so she's really, like, struggling with family obligations and personal career choices and all of that stuff. And then Tomás is struggling with, like... He knows she's not staying, and he like can't just like date around. He's got a five year old; like he has to think of his daughter and making a stable life for her. So they're very torn about their attraction to each other. Um, but it's a romance; it gets a happy ending. And I don't know; I really loved these two. I loved the family stuff in here. Oh my gosh, Yasmin's family is just. So, like, it's a little bit complicated. They fight, but they also really love each other. And there's so many great sequences that include all of the family members And I'm a sucker for families in romance novels. And I really appreciated the way this all got resolved. So, uh, again, that is His Perfect Partner by Priscilla Olivares.
0: All right. Our next question is from Tamara, who says, I've been a chick fan since I read the first Bridget Jones book in 2000-ish. I've read many of the popular authors from the last 20 years or so. I mostly like ones set in the UK that are contemporary and of the romantic comedy type. No Dukes, Lords, or Highlanders. Not too much graphic sex. Not too much real high-stakes drama. Just fun, wacky, romantic comedy. Hijinks. Some popular authors I've read and enjoyed in the past are Helen Fielding, Marion Keys, Jojo Moyes, Sophie Kinsella, Jill Mansell, Jane Green. Okay, pretty much all of the early 2000s chiclet staples. I've been looking for something light and fun to read this summer and would love to discover some new chiclet authors and titles. Hopefully some with a bit more diversity. I recently read and loved Queenie. Okay, I picked The Wedding Date by Jasmine Guillory for you, which is not in the UK, but is lots of fun, wacky, romantic comedy hijinks. It's not super high stakes. And the sex scenes are mostly, they're a little bit fade to black. Like it's not, it's not super steamy on the page, in my opinion. So this takes place in California. It's about Alexa and Drew, who are strangers. And they meet in an elevator in a hotel. She, Alexa, is in town visiting her sister to celebrate a career thing. And uh, Drew is in town for a wedding. And they they get in an elevator. The elevator gets stuck. And they start flirting. And he steals her purse cheese. And it's, like, a whole, you know, like, I'm stuck in this elevator with this, like, hot guy. So you can have my purse How cheese. dare he steal her first? cheese? I had to put the book down when he took the cheese out of her purse. And, like, he doesn't steal it. He, you know, it's not like he violates her personal space or whatever. But she has that cheese for her sister. And he, like, takes it anyway. I was like, no man steals my cheese. That's not. That's right.
1: <laughs> this
0: is why I'm single. Because I cannot deal <laughs> With, like, the hot guy taking my cheese. so they have like a nice flirtatious moment in the elevator and then you know move on the elevator starts working again and as they're leaving drew was like hold up alexa can you accompany me to this wedding that i am going to because it is the wedding of my ex and my best friend and that's like super awkward and i don't want to show up single and we just had a moment with the purse cheese in the elevator you seem really nice please help me alexa is a very um kind of type a person she's a high-powered chief of staff for the mayor in Berkeley. Like, she's got very intense career goals and standards and is not the kind of character, and you get this, like, from the jump, that she is not the kind of person who would be like, yes, I will go on this date with you, cheese, man. But she agrees. Like, she's <laughs> in a good mood. They had a nice moment. She agrees to go on this date to this wedding with a stranger. And so they go and it becomes complicated a bit because she's black and he's white and everybody no one none of his family or friends have heard anything about a girlfriend so they're surprised like on several levels here when he shows up with this woman they have a great time and they hit it off and like do we keep seeing each other even though you're like a complete stranger and I don't know you and we just like manufactured this relationship for your friends and family and you, you know he lives in Los Angeles and she lives in Berkeley he's a pediatric surgeon so they have a lot of obstacles to being together. They got to travel back and forth. But like, she cannot afford to continue doing that. And she doesn't want to keep leaving her work. And it's just like a whole bunch of things. And this is why I say it's like, it's not super high stakes. These are normal stakes of of, like long distance relationship, interracial dating, you know, meeting somebody that your family is like, "Mm," about all of that kind of stuff are are things that millions upon millions of people experience every day. Um, And watching them work out their own kind of hang ups and navigating their their personal lives trying to be together if they even really want to be together which is an open question because of the cheese Um, not just because of the cheese i'm just latched onto this thing (laughs) and so um yeah and so the reason why i picked this is like i mean obviously this is a romance novel and so is bridget jones but i think it's got a lot of similarities in that they're both career women and they both have In the same way that like most romance heroines do, like some some incidences from their past that that are kind of navigating the way that they interact with the hero, you know, Uh, which is like common for that's how characters are written, Amanda. Good job. But anyway, it (laughs) felt similar to me. And I love this book. So there you go. It's super lighthearted and fun. And I think it's all the notes that you're looking for. So that's The Wedding Date by Jasmine Guillory.
2: All right. I want to give a quick shout out to a book I recommended recently on the show, so I'm not 100% picking it this time. But you should read Sophia Khan is Not Obliged by Aisha Malik if you haven't already. It is 1000% in your wheelhouse and is amazing. Uh, But I'm going to pick, I I went a little, again, sideways with this. I'm recommending the Crazy Rich Asian series by Kevin Kwan to you. Because while I guess they are not technically chiclet, like what chiclet is, is... Social commentary with romance, right? Like, that's what Chiclet is, really, if you think about it. And Crazy Rich Asians is 100% social commentary with romance Mm -hmm. thrown in (laughs) as well. Like, it is not a romance in that there's you're not guaranteed a happy ending. But it is all about these people, like, finding love, falling in and out of love, also dealing with their, like, insanely rich families and very complicated vacation lives and like the stakes here are ridiculous because everybody has so much money. You know, they're not real problems. They're rich people problems, <laughs> which are so much fun to read about because, again, restful. And so, yeah, the first one, which also was made into a movie, which I highly recommend and which leaned way more into the like romancy storyline of it, which is an interesting thing to look at, but was amazingly well cast as well. Highly recommended. So the first one follows Rachel Chu, who is dating a guy, Nicholas Young. Um, he invites her to spend the summer in Singapore with his family. She has no idea that like they are like the richest people in the world uh, and that he's a super eligible bachelor in the Asian community. She doesn't know any of these things. She's working class like from, you know, a single mom. Like she just is uh, completely unprepared for her entry into this world and of course inevitably there are mean girls who are mean to her um, but there's also some nice people Astrid who is uh, like an it girl but also is actually very sweet and lovely and smart um, who's having relationship issues of her own she meets Nick's very intense mother who has like a lot of feelings about who her son should be dating that does not include her and you know they like jet off to private islands for a bachelorette party because they're going to this other wedding and there's just all kinds of bonkers situations that Rachel finds herself in there's all of these layerings about family that I really loved and like this is meant to sort of skewer rich, fancy, high society in the Asian community. Like, this is not meant to be realistic. This is meant to, like, take these things that are actually happening and then, like, take them to the next level. Um, so it is extremely fun reading. All of these books are great in the series. He's adding more, which is very exciting. And I hope, I hope, I hope that another movie or two get made because that was so much fun to watch. So again, Crazy Rich Asians. It's a series that's also the name of the first book by Kevin Kwan.
1: though really unluckily, she finds courage at the bottom of a liquor bottle. When she drinks, she's bold and funny, and as pledging intensifies, so does Blake's drinking. Ella assures her that she's fine, partying hard is what it takes, but with her future on the line, Blake must decide how far she's willing to go to achieve glittering dreams of success. Now, just so you know, Jazz Hammonds is the 2023 winner of the critics Scott King John Steptoe Award for New Talent for We Deserve Monuments and We Deserve Monuments was an Amazon Best Books of the Year and Barnes and Noble Best Books of the Year for 2023. So suffice to say, y'all should check this new one out. Thanks again to Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Avid Reader Press. It kind of gives Outlander meets Cloud Atlas or If the Time Traveler's Wife was written by Sally Rooney or Colson Whitehead. Make sure to check out The Ministry of Time by Kalyan Bradley. And thanks again to Avid Reader Press for sponsoring this episode. And now it is
2: time for another question. This one is from Scarlett, who says, I'm hoping you can help me out of a reading slump. I'm in college and reading usually two books for my classes a week, at least, that are pretty heavy and dense, as well as a bunch of academic articles. So during the school year, I find myself not reading as much for fun, save for comic books. Summer has just started and I'm excited to relax and read, but now I can't find the motivation or want to read any of the books I have. I think I need lighter, more fun material, a page turner. I read pretty much any genre but mostly sci-fi and fantasy and sometimes historical fiction my two favorite authors are donna tart and nk jemisin also no graphic novel recommendations please as i find myself still able to read those that's a good combination of favorite authors that's interesting Mm -hmm. that's Mm -hmm. interesting uh amanda what did you pick
0: I picked a YA novel for you. I picked Rebel Wing by Andrea Tang, which came out this year, like early this year. And I picked this because it's super fun and lighter and fast paced. It's very much a page turner. It's science fiction, which you're into. And it's pretty heavily political in a way that I think a fan of N.K. Jemisin is going to like. Like this is a book that was written in response to the 2016 election. So like big feelings are happening here. So Prudence Wu is the main character, and she is a scholarship student at a preparatory academy, like a very fancy school. And this is in like a near future... America where um what what's called like the New Columbia area of the country is still kind of free and they can read whatever they want and kind of do whatever they want, but the rest of the country is very oppressed and there's a lot of what's the word? Uh censorship. So people like can't get access to certain reading materials and things like that. And that part of the country is called the United Continental Confederacy. So I'm sure you can guess where that's located. Um so Prue is a good student and she's just kind of here. To better herself, she's a scholarship student, so she's trying to pull her her family up out of this economic situation. Blah blah blah. Anyway, she's also on the side a like low key smuggler, but not low key at all. She's a high key smuggler, and her job is to bring banned media from her area of the country and smuggle it into the areas of the country that are currently experiencing all this oppression. And so she's making some money on the side. And so she's got a, When the book opens, she's on her way to a drop off, and she just escapes being caught at the border because border patrol in this situation is like very intense and then she finds out that her rescuer is a sentient mechanical dragon yes love it oh so here for it <laughs> and like i should have right it's on the cover like this giant dragon is on the cover but i did i went into it without reading the synopsis and i didn't know that they were mechanical and i did like pacific rim style and i did not know that the dragon's yeah, that's just a, I just didn't I didn't know that they were going to be machines, which gives the whole thing such a like much more fun and edgy kind of vibe. I don't know. So her rescuer is this mechanical dragon who is sentient and turns out to like the dragons here imprint on people. So the dragon imprints on her and the dragon is part of this uh, revolution that's trying to overthrow the suppressive government of the United Continental Confederacy. And it is imprinted on this very uh, chaotic neutral character who like does not super care about overthrowing oppression and is just trying to survive and like make some extra money and so she gets wrapped up into this revolution that she never intended to be a part of and not just wrapped up in this revolution but now she has to drive a dragon like what is happening <laughs> and it's so funny all of the side characters are amazing she has this found family of kids who come along with her to you know fight oppression and save the day as characters very often do in science fiction and YA so i think this will hit a lot of notes for you it's not done to tarnish at all but it's super fun and fast paced and a a light thing to read that it's light, but doesn't sacrifice any of the like big concepts that a NK fan would be into. So that's Rebel Wing by Andrea Tang.
2: I picked a big ship at the edge of the universe by Alex White, which is one of my go-to's for like I need something fun. I need something page-turnery, but that also has like a conscience. And this book is so oh, the cast is so amazing. Uh, two there's a there's several characters that you're going to be following, but the two main ones are Boots Ellsworth, which is like let's take a moment to love that name, mm-hmm. um, and she was like a famous treasure hunter like she had a tv show and this is you know in space so like whatever that involves but she 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 hunted space treasures on a show but now she's like sort her show is canceled she's washed up now she fakes treasure maps like literal like space treasure maps for salvage and sells them to gullible bidders but she actually may have found something this time. She has recently sold a map or, like, put together a map, I can't remember which it is, towards this uh, famous warship called the Harrow that was lost, like, years ago. Nobody knows where it is. It was, like, the best, like, the most fanciest warship ever made. And, like, it's disappeared. And so obviously lots of people want it. And so she's just, like, put out a map to that. And suddenly she's, like, people are pursuing her and trying to kill her. And she's like, uh... That was fake. I faked it. It's fake. It's not real. I don't know anything. But like they think she knows something. And then Nyla is the other main character that you one of the other main characters that you follow that I super love. She is a racer. And what I love about this world is it's space but also magic. So she has like mechanical magic, which makes her an even better space sports car racer. It's so much fun. And she's in the middle of the race when a fellow racer gets murdered like right in front of her and she is in jeopardy. And so now she's on the run and she's kind of spoiled like she has like all of these sponsors. She makes a lot of money. She's used to everything being taken care of. For her. And so she kind of has no idea how to survive in the wild. And the one thing she knows is that, like, the killer who is after her now, after she witnessed this other murder, is after somebody named Boots. So the two of them end up like joining forces. There's also a crew on a spaceship that like helps them out. Great characters there really, really, really super fun and queer and diversely cast and just well-imagined. Like, it's just, it's a, it's a delight. It's the first in a series called The Salvagers. I will say that the first book, I mean, there is clearly room for more story, but I felt like it was relatively satisfying. It's not a huge cliffhanger at the end of the first one. There is some stuff that gets wrapped up. So if you don't have time for a series, uh, this is this is totally fine, I think. Um, But again, it's A Big Ship at the Edge of the Universe by Alex White.
0: All right. Our next question is from Allie, who says, my husband and I are considering adopting or fostering to adopt a child. And like the reader I am, it always makes me feel more comfortable to read as much about it as I can before jumping in. I'm looking for books about the adoption process. Can be fiction or nonfiction. Memoir or biography would be great. I just recently read Instant Mom by Nia Vardalos, and that really fit what I'm looking for. I'm looking for material from the perspective of the people doing the adopting, not from the perspective of the person being or having been adopted, which is what I keep finding. Books can be either a uh, book or audio format. Fiction is fine if it's something I can relate to or get inspiration from. Okay, I picked To the End of June, The Intimate Life of American Foster Care by Chris Beam. I read this book when I was uh, a foster parent a couple of years ago. And it is very enlightening, especially if you're considering adopting through the foster care system. Like this is, But this is um, in New York. So, you know, every state's system is a little bit different. Well, not a little bit different. Every state's system is different. And so not everything you read here is going to be relevant to your situation. But I think it is a nice overview of how adopting kids out of the foster care system, especially if they're older, can be like such a, a huge undertaking. So she is a journalist who herself becomes a foster parent kind of on accident, because a kid in her life ends up needing a place to stay. And so she takes the kid in. And so she spends five years following some kids in and out of the foster care system, especially um, with this one family that seems very, I don't know, like well adjusted on the outside, they take in mostly teenagers. But as you stay with these kids over time, you find out how you know, like where they end up and if they what happens to them after they age out, and um, how often the foster care system sets them up for failure, even though it is you know supposedly designed to do kind of the opposite um she's also stays with a, a family who adopts a child out of foster care sight unseen like the child is bo- it's an infant the child is born and is given to these foster parents to adopt but then the birth mother changes her mind and which is her legal right and so there's there's that whole thing to deal with and i don't i feel like the way that i'm describing it makes it sound like fostering to adopt is is a terrible experience and that's that's not what i mean but there are Obstacles, and they're pretty common. So I think going in you know with your eyes open and reading a book like this and understanding some of the ins and outs and some of what it's going to take, and you know, the time frames, if you're looking to adopt an older child, some of the particular struggles that could come with that um, because they are, you know, kind of specific. And she's also asking a really interesting question in this book about like is the is the entire basis of the foster care system even a thing that we should be maintaining? Like obviously, kids who are in abusive situations or whose parents have died and have nowhere to go need somewhere to go. Um, but so often, children are taken from their parents for what the state considers neglect, but is in reality just poverty. Like. They're losing their children because they are poor. And if we took the money out of the foster care system and instead put it towards relieving poverty in these communities, we probably would not need the foster care system to be what it is right now. So that's an interesting question, especially if you're considering adopting out of the system. So that is To the End of June, An Intimate Life of American Foster Care by Chris Beam.
2: I am recommending Motherhood So White by Nefertiti Austin. And I'm recommending this because it is similar, actually, to Nia Vardalos's. Um, It is about adopting out of the foster care system. But it's very different in that Nefertiti Austin is a black woman, and she wants specifically to adopt a black baby boy out of the foster care system in the state that she's in, which at the moment I cannot remember for whatever reason, and it's not in the description. But anyway... And she's single, but this is, like, not actually an issue for the foster care system. It is, however, an issue for the people in her life who have, like, <laughs> a lot of feelings about her adopting. Her friends and family are like, you want to do what now? Uh, so she's dealing with that. She Then she's, of course, dealing with the foster care system and adoption. And she finds that there are all of these reasons why black women don't often end up in this position able to adopt a Black baby and how so many um, young Black children end up with families of other races. And there are really, really important and fascinating and sometimes infuriating uh, things she sort of holds up to light about how the foster care system works and like what adoption is like in the black community. It looks very different from what adoption is like in the white community. Her own personal journey on, you know, heading towards adoption and why it is that, you know, she feels so strongly about having a child in this way. Another thing that I loved about this book is that, you know, you're so you're getting social commentary, you're getting her own personal story. Um, she's, she is very, I mean, she's not as funny as Nia Vardalos, who is like a professional comedian, but she is very funny. And there are some really hilarious moments. There are also obviously a lot of very serious moments. Um, But she also spends some time at the end of the book interviewing other women who have adopted through the foster care system in particular and like why they chose to do it and how they came to it. So you're getting, you know, just so much great information. And I think especially in the current moment, like we need to talk about anti-racism in adoption and fostering. And Mm -hmm. this is the book like Mm -hmm. this is this is one of the books that needs to be on your shelf for that. So because especially, I mean, depending on where you are, it's highly likely that you will be involved in a transracial adoption situation Mm -hmm. um, for the reasons that Amanda mentioned a minute ago. So, you know, there's all kinds of questions of privilege involved as well that I think are very worth thinking about. Um, And this book is also just like a great memoir about foster adopting. So again, Motherhood So White by Nefertiti Austin. All right. Our last question is from Deanne, who says, I have recently become a romance-obsessed reader. I mostly read male-male romance, and I love the jock and the what is sports and who cares guy trope. What I would like is a female-female version of this trope. I'm thinking of something like a member of the U.S. Women's National Soccer Team and a woman who does not get sports. Yes, I have a crush on Megan Rapino, who doesn't. Mm. Although I love YA, I would really love it if these were adults, so being an athlete is the job of one of these women. I'm totally happy with sexy times on the page. The hotter, the better. This was such a fun question. I'm just going to keep talking. I will say that I struggled to find exactly the trope you're talking about. I don't know why, but most of the female-female sports romances I came across involved, like, Women on opposite teams, which is kind of amazing. Uh, So different tropes available to you. But I found one that's like kind of similar-ish and also just really great. I am recommending Roller Girl by Vanessa North. This is technically the third in a series. You definitely don't have to have read the other two because I didn't and I didn't care. Although now I do want to go back and read them. And this is about Tina, who is recently divorced and like she's a personal trainer. She's a former wakeboarding like professional wakeboarding medalist, which is amazing. That's like a thing I have now Googled and watched YouTube videos of. And she wakes up in the middle of the night. Her like house is flooding. Her washing machine is busted. And she really, her ex-wife really handled all of the like household stuff and she kind of doesn't know how to adult and so she like you know is calling around for a plumber at like midnight trying to figure out what to do about this she ends up the next day getting a visit from joe the plumber who it turns out is a very sexy lady who invites tina out for uh, like a Coffee date. Well Tina thinks it's a coffee date, but actually Joe's ulterior motive is that she has noticed that Tina is like in shape and has all these, you know, awards and whatnot. And she's like, I want you to try out for a roller derby team. I coach. And Tina's like, uh, I thought this was a date. Like, what's going on here? <laughs> <Excuse me. laughs> and and Joe's like, Well, we can still like make out. Like it's really <laughs> kind of amazing. It's kind of amazing. So Tina does. She tries out for the roller derby team and like has this whole adventure. But then things, of course, are complicated because Joe is the coach and like that's weird. And can anybody know that they're like getting busy on the side like is it going to make things weird with the team and you know it's it's really kind of amazing and tina who is a trans woman is also struggling with like being in she's she spent most of her professional career being in a male-dominated space and so this is her first experience of being in a female sports space and so that is really powerful and really beautifully depicted i think and the way that she like figures out how to have female friends as part of the arc of this novel just gives me all of the feels because it's just not something she's had the opportunity to do before. And it is extremely steamy, like definitely steamy, steamy. And I loved the resolution of this. I love how the community of women that are involved in this team or around Tina and also her friends who are like these lovely gay dudes uh, who have all kinds of other things going on and are clearly the leads in other of these romances um, in the series. They're just like all on the page together, like one big happy, sometimes not happy, complicated family. It's just, it's so satisfying. So again, that's Roller Girl by Vanessa North.
0: I picked Fire and Ice by Rachel Spangler, which definitely has the jock and the what is sports and who cares trope, but it's about curling, yes. which is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. So because I am also like, what is curling and who cares? <laughs> It's, it's, it's fascinating, actually. So Max is uh, one of the main characters of this book. And she is a reporter who has had something happen, capital S, capital H, something has happened in her career that um, has her kind of sidelined. And you do eventually find out what has happened in her past that has gotten her to this point. But she is out of work and her boss finally finds her an assignment and it is following the U.S. curling team for like four months as they prepare for championships. And Max is very much like you have got to be kidding me. Like she, came, at one point in the book, she calls it house housekeeping on ice because of the brooms. Like she's very <sighs> um, snarky about it and disdainful, and so she goes into this meeting she meets the team and um, you know writes her first article about the team and it's just awful like it's basically a hit piece on the whole concept of curling as a sport which is a great idea when you're a disgraced reporter who's on her last leg of job of, like work to burn the bridges of your only source on the story that you're trying to write for four months it's not a great look so she goes she realizes that she's like messed up and she goes back to the team and tries to kind of, you know, like get more material for the next piece and she realizes that she's done something not great here. And then Callie, who is what is called the skipper of the curling team, which is not the not the coach but kind of a coach, but like like the like the hype the hype man I guess of the team, is the only person who's like willing to give Max another shot. And so Callie is the like character opposite of max max is this very like brooding and moody and temperamental kind of person and callie's like upbeat and optimistic and kind of perky and like here for whatever yay like just happy 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 and so she's fine with giving max another chance but like one only one and you've got to like play you know play it straight and write like Stop being such a jerk, basically. And so they come together to so that Callie can teach Max about the sport and what actually goes into it and how it is very athletic in reality and all what all the rules mean and what the broom is for and like all this kind of stuff. And as Max's respect for the sport grows, Her feelings for Callie also grow. Hey. And so there is, you know, romance on the ice with the brooms. It's just so lovely. And curling. Who would have thought? So that's Fire and Ice by Rachel Spangler, which is about curling. I had to say it again.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So one of my roommates in New York curled and I got to go watch her curl and it was super fun. And also, yeah, like actually quite a lot of balance and strength work. Like you're on ice doing stuff like anything on ice is hard.
0: Yeah, I would fall over. It
2: was really it was really fun to watch. And like trick curling, like speaking of YouTube holes, you can fall down. I highly recommend like Googling up some trick curling because like they can do these wacky things where where they push the stones uh, that look really fun. Okay, I'm done talking about girls. Now. <laughs> this concludes our show today. Uh, thanks go out to our fantastic audio editor, Jen Zink, who makes us sound as good as we possibly can. All other issues are ours. Thanks, Jen. Thanks also to you for listening. We super appreciate that. We also appreciate it if you are so inclined to leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts because it does help other folks to find the show, and we do love to see the feedback. Thanks, out to our sponsors for making our show possible. And in between shows, you can find us on social media. Amanda, where are you?
0: I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson.
2: I am also mostly on Instagram these days at I am Jen IRL, and that is spelled I-A-M-J-E-N-N-I-R-L. And we will talk to you next time.